8.45 into our science and technology with Mark Zastro. Good morning to you. Good morning. And uh, we're going to talk today about an Arctic doomsday vault of the world's seeds flooded due to climate change. Mount Everest famed Hillary step collapsing, or has it? And London City Airport's new control tower. Uh, but first, this Arctic seed bank designed to safeguard copies of the world's seed in case of a global catastrophe, has been flooded, ironically, because of climate change. Um, Mark, can you first tell us a bit more about this seed bank? Sure. So this facility is known as the Svalbard Global Seed Vault, and it's built into an abandoned coal mine in the Norwegian island of Spitsbergen. So it's designed to be the world's you know, ultimate backup survival plan. It has seed samples of nearly a million different plant species. So the idea is that if there were ever an apocalyptic disaster, you know, whether natural or human-made, that wiped out most of life on Earth, anyone who survives could go to this facility and then try to reseed the Earth. And in order to keep the seeds viable, they're stored inside the facility at a constant temperature of minus 18 degrees Celsius. So to safeguard those seeds, to uh, keep, help keep the facility at that temperature, it's built underground into the permafrost on this remote island uh, in the Arctic Circle off the coast of Norway. And that was just over 10 years ago when they obviously didn't foresee this problem. Uh, yes, uh, that's right. Unfortunately, due to climate change, this permafrost is no longer permanent. So last year, the average temperatures on the island were 7 degrees warmer than their historical averages. And last year, last week, uh, news spread that the facility has, in fact, experienced some flooding. So some meltwater uh, had gotten into the tunnel that runs down to the bank. At this point, it's like the uh, alarm is flashing because the, the seas themselves have not been damaged but obviously they're gonna have to rethink things now that's right luckily the water froze before it actually reached the space where the seeds are stored and that's partly by design because you know it it is so cold uh small amounts of water should freeze before it reaches the seeds and there are also pumps that should activate to remove any water that does get through but still you know they just didn't expect this amount this level of warming to occur and to have to deal with this. Uh, you know, permafrost was a part of the design of the facility. An official from the Norwegian government, which is funding the facility, told The Guardian, it was not in our plans to think that the permafrost would not be there and that it would experience extreme weather like that. So everyone is taking this pretty seriously. Uh, one, of the research that, uh, one of the researchers that operates the vault, Osmond Osdal, said, we have to find solutions. It is a big responsibility. We are doing this for the world. And this is supposed to last for eternity. Mm. Now from the Arctic to the peaks of the Himalayas, mountaineers have reported Mount Everest's famous Hillary Step, a near vertical rock face near the summit, has collapsed, but not everyone actually agrees with that. Why, why is it even in question? Well, so, yeah, there are conflicting reports right now about the status of the Hillary Step, and, and the reason there's so much attention is that this is, you know, one of the most famous features of, of the mountain, one of the most famous features of any mountain, uh, it's a 12-meter-high, almost vertical rock face. It's just about 60 meters below the summit. So it's kind of the last challenge uh, on your way to the top. 
And Tim Mosdale, a British climber who just summited Everest last week, reported when he got back that the Hillary step had collapsed. Now, that appeared to confirm suspicions over the past couple of years for many other climbers that the rock face had indeed changed. Uh, now, just to be clear, this is not something where we're uh, implicating climate change. The most likely reason for this would be the 2015 earthquake that hit the mountain and killed 22 people in an avalanche. Uh, but other people, other climbers, uh, mostly local Sherpas, have actually disputed Mosdale's account. And they say that uh, the, the rock face is still mostly there. It's just covered in snow. And if you, do like, if you do go online and you look at some of the pictures that have been posted, the snow does make it hard to tell. So there's a, a bit of ambiguity here. But a, again, you know, this is, uh, one of the mo- this is a, a piece of mountaineering lore, this feature. It's considered the most technically challenging feature of the summit. It's the last thing that Sir Edmund Hillary and Tenzing Norgay had to scale on their way to the summit in 1953 when they made the first ever ascent. And it's the challenge that, you know, anyone who climbs Mount Everest knows they will have to meet. So many people in the mountaineering community will certainly miss this feature uh, if if it is indeed gone. Well, I mean, it's interesting because there's a lot of news right now around Anchu Jamsenpa's ascent to the top of Mount Everest twice in the space of just a few days. Uh, this month, in fact. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, and she's a 37-year-old mother of two, which seems to add even more, uh, I don't know, of a reaction. People find it very impressive. She is a legitimate mountaineer who's very accomplished, but still, uh, well done to her for that. But you would have thought with all the attention on Everest from that, there'd be more talk about this. Yes, well, it's it, it, it's something that whether if this step has actually collapsed, it's something that could have implications for the entire sort of climbing industry uh, on Everest, right? Which uh, we know some people have said that Everest has turned into almost a circus of of people who pay to climb the mountain and pay to be guided up, and there are certainly these fears that the mountain is being overcrowded. Um, you know, at the same time uh, that. We've seen all these accomplishments this spring. You know, four climbers also died just this past weekend exactly. on the mountain. So, you know, it, it still uh, retains uh, its danger. Uh, in terms of how this Hillary step could affect the industry, you know, it could go both ways because in the past, this was really a bottleneck um, for climbers going up the mountain. If you read accounts of the deadly 1996 climbing season, you know, that people sometimes end up having to wait for hours just to climb the Hillary step. So if the rock face has collapsed, it may make it a bit easier to scale it, but it also could turn out to be more dangerous because if the rock face is unstable and any of the remaining rocks are in danger of collapsing, uh, it could it could actually worsen the situation. Yes, indeed. Um, well, as you said, those deaths recently, very sad to hear of. Um, within hours of that second ascent by the Indian woman I just mentioned, it uh, it does remind us all of the, the peril still of climbing Everest and why it remains that elusive challenge for many. Uh, Mark, um, you also wanted to talk about London City Airport, if any of us happen to fly in there in a couple of years uh, and happen to see the control tower out the window, uh, don't be alarmed when you don't see anyone inside it. Uh, because from 2019, the airport's flight controllers will be working remotely. In fact, over 100 kilometers away. Yeah, we've all heard about uh, drones, uh, you know, uh, remote-controlled airplanes. This is now basically a remote-controlled airport. Uh, London City is building a brand-new digital control tower that will have no air traffic controllers inside of it, but it will be outfitted with cameras and sensors. 
that are going to provide a data feed to the National Air Traffic Control Building, which is 110 kilometers away. So air traffic controllers will be relying on these camera views and on this data in order to manage operations at the airport. And the airport says that this new setup will give controllers a lot of new tools that should actually improve their awareness and efficiency over the current control tower. Yeah, we should perhaps point out that Actually, not that many people do fly into London City Airport, comparatively speaking. Uh, although this is a central location, you certainly don't want anything going wrong there. That's right. Uh, and and it does see traffic, but uh, compared with uh, Heathrow and Gatwick, which would probably be the most common airports uh, for most of us to fly into, um, it, it's still um, going to perhaps benchmark other airports. How big of a jump is this going to be? Well, so just a, a quick word about the air traffic control system setup. Uh, the role of the control towers, you know, who would be up there in the tower, you know, with the binoculars uh, in the sort of mainstream depiction, that they're mainly just there to manage the final landing phase or the initial takeoff phase. They just issued the final clearances for takeoffs or landings. Uh, but when your airplane is, you know, say 50 kilometers out of the destination and it gets funneled in with all the other planes down to the runway, it's actually being guided by controllers in a different center who are not in the traditional control tower. So there is certainly, you know, precedent for this. Uh, but for that final takeoff and landing clearance, you do need to have that panoramic view of the runway to see the planes and make sure that, you know, it's clear for the next one to land. And so what's new here, right, is this is this uh, digital control tower. And I think there definitely will be an adjustment period, and they've actually factored in a one-year training period to help controllers get used to the setup. But air traffic controllers uh, already train on similar setups in simulators to, to get their license to be an air traffic controller. So I don't see any, any reason why this shouldn't be able uh, to go, hopefully, you know, according to plan. Well, Mark, thank you very much for bringing it to our attention and all our stories today. Uh, always good to have you here. Thank you. Great to be here, Alex. Mark Zastro, science journalist with our Science and Technology.